You're listening to Pastor Mike Greiner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, An Ongoing Process of Continual Mental Transformation, recorded on January 13th, 2019. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Harvest Community Church. Glad you could be here or in Freeport or in Indiana or in the Petroleum Valley or in... I shouldn't say I'm glad you could be in jail. Glad you could join us. Though you are in jail, we hope you get out soon. Harvest Community Church meets in four places and, and we're happy to have you here. My name is Mike. I say all that for first-time guests. Um, we are beginning a brand new five-week series on the Bible at the beginning of the year. Uh, I think, how do you start that? Um, I think the best way to start it is to say this. Um, There are two ways that God talks to the human race. Two ways that he showed us he talks to the human race. The first way is called general revelation. By general it means it can be seen by anybody at any time all over the world. In any age. Uh, In Ecclesiastes 3.11, the Bible says this. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. Yet, so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. He has put eternity into the heart of man. Only human beings out of all creation are concerned with eternity. You never see your dog having an existential crisis. They're never like, you know, gosh, I'm nine years old. I weigh like 40 pounds. I was looking at the chart in the vet's office, and in dog years, I'm like 90. (laughs) Human beings are obsessed with death and life and eternity. Each human no matter what the time, no matter what the nation, no matter what the culture, no matter where they live, must answer for his or herself the, mess, the, the, the question of what happens when I die. And every single human I've ever met deals with that question. Now they may, they may bring themselves to resolution at some point. Well, I believe when you die, you're just dirt. Okay, that's, what, that's where you end up. I believe when you die, you come back again, and you come back again, and you come back again, okay? But the point is, only humans have eternity in their hearts, and God put it there. In fact, God reveals himself to the creature he made in his image by giving him an existential mindset. Human beings know that there is a forever, and they know there is a God. But, even though he reveals himself to everyone, he also limits the knowledge about himself. In that verse he said, he put eternity in their hearts, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. It's as if God made humans to be in a conundrum. No one's born with the answers. No one comes out and says, I got it. You can't know what God is thinking. You can't know what God is planning. You can't. All the foolishness of so many people thinking, well, the truth is always within. No, the truth isn't within. You know what is within? Your intestines. 
hearts, lungs. God hides knowledge about himself also. Paul explains this again in Romans chapter 1. Look at this. For what can be known about God is plain to them. And them, in this case, is mankind, the whole human race. And by what can be known, that means generally. General revelation is the first way God talks to us. Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Every single person who's ever lived knows there's a God just by looking at the complexity and the beauty of the world they're in, and they know he's powerful. He invented dragonflies. (laughs) The atheist heart doesn't start there. He ends there. It takes a suppression of the truth. Everyone knows there's a God. But although they knew God, so so they are without excuse, for although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. This is a description of the human race from the New Testament, saying that to be human is to know there's a God, but not to honor Him, to invent new ones all the time. To come up with new ideas for God, but not honor the God who is there. To be human is to know there's a God, to know He's good just by what you see. To know He's amazing and powerful by what you see. But also to know you're not, whether you notice it or not. (laughs) And the, the thinking of mankind, the heart is darkened. Left to His own. Man knows there's a God, knows He's great, knows He's good, but does not know about Him, does not know Him. There's people who say, well, you go to church. Well, my church is outside where it's beautiful. That's where I see God. No, that's where you see pine trees. See, see. God made pine trees. That's a tree. That's where I feel the wind. That's called wind, okay? That's not God. Now, you may enjoy it out there, Get away from some of the people in your life who annoy you, but you're not seeing God out there. We're in the dark. We are all sinners. That's the good news of the Bible. (laughs) We're all fallen. He is the moral creature. We are the immoral creature, though made in His image. We naturally reject God. Now, this is news to some people, and and as you read the Bible, you will see this is the doctrine of the Bible, but if you live it out in your life and test it, you will see it's true in you too, whether you don't know that right now or not. You'll know that you are a sinner. You'll know you fall short. This is an easy thing to prove. All i got to say is, do you live up to your own standards? We just had New Year's. How, How many of you have given up on New Year's resolutions? If you haven't, you're too young. When you get older, you realize you're not keeping them. Why? Because you can't even keep your own standards. You know you can't keep God's. Every one of us here doesn't want everyone to know our deepest, darkest secrets. If I, if I said to you, I got a surprise for you. I found out your deepest, darkest secrets that you don't want anyone to know. And I printed them in the bulletin. And we're all going to open up now and look at it. <laughs> You'd wish you were somewhere else. We know we're sinners. 
So that leaves mankind, according to the Bible, in a helpless situation. He knows there's a God. He knows he's good. He, he knows he himself is not good, mankind. But he can't know anything about God except that he's there. In order to be saved, we need God to do two things. One, make a way to be saved, and that's Jesus. Make a way to be saved. Jesus, the Son of God, right? He was God forever, is God forever, took on flesh, became one of us, was the one perfect man, never sinned. When he died, he died in our place so that God treated his son like a criminal so he could treat criminals like his son. God took the guilty and put them on... Uh, and, and let him free, and he took the innocent and put him on a cross. Beautiful picture of his pilot saying, who should I set free, this robber, this bad guy, or the innocent Jesus? And, and mankind said, give us Barabbas, give us the robber. And so the guilty man went free, the innocent man went to the cross, and that's a beautiful symbol of how God saves us. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins, but God sent his only son, that at the proper time, though we are sinners, we could be saved. So the first thing God needs to do is make a way. And Jesus is the way. But the second thing he needs to do is show us the way. What good's a way if no one tells you how to get to it? That leads us to the second way God talks to, the man, to humankind. And that is by special revelation. The first one's general. Everyone knows it. The second one, second one is called special revelation. What is special revelation? Words. Sentences. There's people who want to talk to God in the pine tree. I can have a good laugh about that. But then you run into Christians who want to talk to God because I sensed him in my spirit. Like, well, what's the message? I sensed him. With what sense? I don't know. Religious people are just as bad. They're like, I felt him. You felt him. What did he say? Something like that. You know, here's the beautiful thing. God knows that the way he made us was to use words and sentences and ideas, propositional phrases. God God is not stupid. He made us. He knows how we communicate, and he communicates with us in the same way, using human language, words strung together to make coherent sentences that can be written down. And that's where we get our Bible. Special revelation. For the next five weeks, we're going to discuss this. Really, for the rest of our lives, but specifically the Bible. I want to start with Matthew chapter 1 this week. Matthew 1, verse 1 to 4. Jesus came to earth, he grew up, and he started his ministry at about age 30. And, 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 And that's when he got out and started doing all the cool miracle stuff. But right before that, he was baptized. Baptism's cool, right? Then... He went out in the wilderness for 40 days where he was tempted by Satan. Now, Jesus is God. Jesus is also man. He's fully God, fully man. As God, you cannot tempt God. You can't tempt God. He has nothing within him that has any desires. You can't tempt something that has no desires, that that are unfulfilled, I mean. He has desires, he has feelings, but you, you got nothing to offer him. You can't tempt him. But when he took on flesh, he became weak like us on purpose. And he faced Satan full force and all the temptations to come. So after 40 days, let's read what happens. Jesus then 
was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Understatement. Right? 40 days and 40 nights. Yeah, he's hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, if you're Mr. Big Shot, anyone ever talk to you like that? You think you're all that. Prove it. If you're the Son of God, command these stones to be loaves of bread. You're out here in the middle of nothing. You got a hunger pain. You can do anything. There's some rocks. Why don't you change them into bread? But Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Four implications tonight, today, this morning, whenever it is when you're listening to this. Four implications from what he says. These all come from Jesus' answer. Man shall not... This is really a, a sermon on one verse. Verse 4. One, we have souls. We have souls. Man does not live by bread alone. Well, actually, he kind of does. At least physically, you feed your body. And, and, and bread is a symbol of all food, all sustenance. It's an incredible machine God gave you called your body. You can put all kinds of food in it. Almost anything that grows, you can stick in your mouth. Not anything, but almost anything. You can eat most bugs. You can eat most animals. You can eat an awful lot of plants. It's really an amazing machine. Your diesel engine is nowhere near the flexibility. Neither does your gasoline engine. Neither does any, anything, right? This is like... I'm back to the future, and you just can put the garbage into that, right? And that car, you can put almost anything in there, and it works. But if you put nothing in there, it dies. Jesus' response to Satan is food is not sufficient for life. Well, to put that another way, life does not center on the biological it's, it's not just this matter. Because if it's just this matter, it lives on bread. But not bread alone. It lives on pasta and cheese and gravy and steak and ice cream. But that all comes out of the category of bread. So, man doesn't live by that. Well, then what does he live by? He has a soul. He has a soul. And what feeds the soul? The word of God. By, he lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He lives by special revelation. Jesus would later say, for life is more than food. Life is, if you worry only about physical survival, you have not provided what you need for your life. Well, I've kept myself safe. I've kept myself clean from germs and disease. I've, I've, I've put clothes on my body so it, it's not exposed to the weather. I put food in my mouth and, and, I've, and I've kept bad guys from hurting me so I have life. No, you don't. All you've got is food. You don't have life. There's two lives that you have, really. Two kinds of life. You're two forms of life. One body, one soul. One is body, one is the soul life. Jesus, in another part of the gospel, gives us this warning. Do not be afraid of people who can kill the body only. 
What a radical thing to say to human beings. Do not be afraid of body killers. Out of all the things that walk the earth, the ones that cause me the most fear are body killers. Who's with me on that? How many of you want to meet a body killer? People are afraid of body killers. That's why we have cops. That's why we have armies. That's why we lock our doors. That's why some of you ladies got to stop watching the ID network. You think all of us are killers and we're not all killers. And Jesus says, don't be afraid of people who kill the body. Well, what's there to be afraid of? And then he says this, be afraid of the one who can throw body and soul into hell. All you can do is kill my body. That really isn't the big deal. The big deal is if you can kill my soul. So you, have, you personally, where you are, have a body and you have a soul. Satan wants Jesus to focus on the physical. You're a man now, Jesus. Been alive for eternity. First time as a man. Hungry? Focus only on the physical. The world teaches us that we are only biological. This is what you learn. <laughs> you learn theology in science class, which is overstepping the bounds, but they do it anyway. Oh, you're just a biological... L- listen, <laughs> ask Sam Harris, the... Uh, popular atheist who makes no new arguments but popular people don't care he'll tell you everything you do is predetermined because you're just a biological product you really don't have any choices your brain reacts to the stimuli around it in a biological manner and you really can't do anything about that which, do you wonder why our society has a hard time figuring out what is right and what is wrong, what is good, what is bad, what is cr- You've got to determine crime. What, how can you even lock someone up for a crime? They, it's just a biological necessity that they had to kill that person. They're just biology. But we know from the scripture, and you know from experience, but you know from the scripture. You have a soul. It's been wrongly credited to C.S. Lewis, but it's still a good quote. You don't have a soul, someone said. You are a soul. You have a body. You have a soul. It's appointed for your body once to die, and then the judgment, says the Bible. You can care for your body all you want. It's going to croak. There's nothing you can do about it. Nothing you can do about it. Well, they got CRISPR technology and all this. Nothing. CRISPR technology doesn't prevent against buses. You know, poof. There's your CRISPR. You're not only crisp, you're, you're kind of sticky. You're going to die. You take your vitamins. You can get vaccinated. Or you can go, no, 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 don't do that. You can not get vaccinated. Whatever you want. You can drink filtered water. You can drink tap water. You can get all the surgeries you want. You're going to die. And what God says is your concern shouldn't be first with that body. It should be you were appointed once to die. Then the judgment. Your soul will go on. Second observation after you know you have a soul. This verse implies that your soul can be malnourished. The Word of God is soul food. Back in the 70s, 
If you grew up in the 70s, like I did, I love the 70s because that's, you love the age you first turn a teenager, I don't know, and I love the 70s, and we had soul food back then. You don't, we had soul music and we had soul food. Probably many of you young people don't know what that is. Man, if you were African-American, your music was called soul music, and if you went downtown, you could find special food that was cooked by African-Americans. Called soul food. Well, the Bible is soul food because it feeds the soul. Because if you went downtown and got that food, it just feeds your body. It's really just body food. Soul food is the Bible. Now, if the soul does not eat regularly, <laughs> then you, let me put it another way. Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, which, which means to say, mouth of God, which means man does live, you can say it in the positive, by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's where he gets his life. If man must, man's soul, your soul must eat the word of God in order to be healthy, right? Then you need the Bible. You may come in here today and didn't even think you needed it. Your body don't need it, but your soul needs it. And it doesn't need it just once. You need it regularly. If you didn't need it regularly, why did God give us such a big Bible? You know, perhaps the most heartbreaking and, fu- and uh, um, frustrating malady of the mind that can hurt a person is anorexia. Because a person gets to the point where food, which they like, they stop thinking they should eat. And their loved ones are frustrated because, honey, just eat. And they can watch a person starve to death right in front of them because they won't feed themselves. Spiritual anorexia is worse. Churches starve. You see, churches starve. They, they have the Bible. They won't feed it to the people. You, you have it. Just eat. But the individual Christian, what could be more frustrating than your life is, lacks a vision of God that is sufficient for this hard place? Because your soul's malnourished and the food is right in front of you and you don't eat it. Christians, we need to learn to feed ourselves. That is why we are focusing on the Bible. You, if you come here regularly, as most of you do, I'm going to throw some food out, right? I cook, I'm a cook. Sometimes we have another cook up here. It's cooking it up. I have a lot of garlic in my Bible. It's Italian background. Someone else comes, they use a little more basil. And then, but if you only eat when you go out, you know, you don't, that's not how you live. You've got to feed yourself every day. You have to feed yourself. How many of you are self-feeders? And, you, and, I, and I mean that. No, answer this to yourself. If I didn't listen to someone else tell me what the Bible says, would my soul be hungry? You've got to feed yourself. Psalm 1 says this, Blessed is the man, I'm going to cut this up a bit because it's long and I want to focus on one part. Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates when? Day and night. 
What's this man like? You, you want to bless a young person with a, a prayer of blessing. Pray this on him. Pray that they will be like a tree planted by streams of water. Right? That, that yields its fruit in season. That its leaf does not wither. And all that he does will prosper. That's the life you want for someone you love. Well, the way you get that life as a human soul is to meditate on the law of God, the words of God, when? Day and night. You can't just eat it once. Oh, I ate it Sunday, I'm good. You, you do a lot of thinking because you're an amazing machine made by God to think, 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 think. You think all the time. And then when you go to sleep, your brain says, I got a lot more thinking than that and comes up with some of the weirdest ideas called dreams. How much of those thoughts are influenced by the Word of God? Because the soul of man, this is, this is why we're not just biological. The reason you punish a man for raping a woman is because he knew it was wrong and he chose to do it. Because he's a soul. He's not an automaton who had to do it. It's not just a biological reality, an accident of the universe. He has a soul. He knew he shouldn't do it. He did it. So you punish them. You have a mind. What should you do with it? God says, if you want to be blessed, delight in the law of the Lord. And, and in his word, meditate day and night and you'll be like a tree planted by the waters. If you've ever been in the desert, you see why that matters. And if you don't do that, well, you can read the rest of Psalm 1. The alternative, by the way, is destruction. Harvest... We want people with really fat spirits. We got some people with fat bodies and I'm one of them. And I know it. I know it. I got the Oprah disease. One year you're fat. The next year you're not as fat. You just say come back in a year. He'll be fat again. I know it. It's the great 50 pound swing. Me and Oprah. But that's just getting through life. What really matters is how fat's my soul? We live in a world of human beings made to be satisfied by God. Yearning for something. They don't know what it is. And they're starving. And they're feeding themselves with everything they can feed themselves. Everything they can feed themselves. You know, why do you think social media is such a thing? Why do you think people can't get off of it? And they need a, I need likes, baby. I need some likes. I need to get me some likes. Because their soul's hungry. You know, why do you think people step on each other to, to, to get ahead in, in some sort of industry or business? And they have to get to the top. They're hungry. And they're trying to, Feed their soul. There's a song lyric by a band called the Altar Boys, pre-digital. It says, there's an emptiness in this world, and I know why. People look for life from things that make them die. That's this world. The sins that people th- are celebrating will kill you. The only place to get life is the Word of God. The church is a storehouse. But make no mistake, you are the method of delivery. 
You're the delivery person. You sit or stand or walk at work and at school next to people who are starving. And you have the food. And it's up to you to give it to them. That means you got to eat it. Third observation. I'm getting away from myself into uh, application too early. Third, soul food is more important than biological food. Now, I mean that in priority, not in order. (laughs) If you're dead from starvation, you can't get soul food. But priority-wise, Jesus, the devil says, look, dude, I know you're hungry. Eat, boy. I know it ain't time to eat. God said, don't eat till I tell you. In fact, God's going to send angels to feed him. And I know God said, don't eat yet, but you're hungry, doggone it. Eat 40 stinking days without food. I'm dead already. I don't know why that is either. You think at this size, I could live 80 days, but scientists say you cannot, not easily. 40 days hunger, and he says, I could make it into bread, but that's not going to give me life. He, he, he put a priority of the soul. You feed your body every day, right? Right? You got to feed your soul. Ministry that feeds the body but neglects the soul is a misguided ministry. Right? Um, if you, you want to sponsor kids in another country, do it. But do it with Compassion International. Or Samaritan's Purse. Do not waste your money on World Vision. If you already have a kid through World Vision, stop. They're probably not getting the money. Once a great Christian organization is sold out to, to, to rubbing shoulders with government money. And they stopped preaching the gospel. On top of that, they started embezzling and whatnot. I wouldn't give them a dime. They always keep saying they cleaned up their act and take out new ads in Christianity today. But just recently found out... They were exchanging money with some terrorist group. But even if they fed every kid in the world, but they never preached them the gospel, can I tell you what's going to happen to every kid in the world? They're going to die. Most likely they'll grow up first, then die. But they're going to die. And if you feed them a lot, they'll die with more food in their stomach. And if you don't feed them, they'll die with less food in their stomach unless they get their own food, right? So if you think the greatest Christian thing in the world is you do is give them food, I would agree with you. Provided you also fed their soul. Because a well-fed person on earth that's in hell is, has been done no good. Ministry that doesn't give soul food. There's always pressure in churches to turn us into social clubs where we do social things and social, 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 whatever social. This society is going to be gone one day, but your soul is more valuable than the society you live in. And so is the people you minister to. Well, if I give them bread and preach the gospel, I hurt their culture. Their culture is going to go. Their soul is more valuable than their culture. Tell them that God loves them. Tell them Jesus died for their sins. We are in a battle for souls, not bodies. We need people in battle for bodies. We need army. We need, we need doctors and nurses. We need farmers who make food. We need police. We need people who battle for our bodies. I like the body battlers. 
Your mom's the first body battle you ever meet, and she'll battle for your body. She'll kill a person for you. She'll feed you. But the church, we're in a battle for souls. Satan wants all people to hunger for what this earth gives. And maybe that's what you hunger for more than anything else. You think, if I had all the money in the world, how many of you, we all think this, right? Oh, if I won the lottery, I wouldn't be like that idiot ending up stupid and bad. Trust me with the money. (laughs) You'd be the same. I think one of the ways churches go wrong is we can think, if people come in here, we need to tell them that whatever they need, God's going to give it to them. Oh, you need some money? God's got all the money in the, he's got the cattle on a thousand, he'll give you some money. Oh, you need some health? He'll heal you. You need to be happy every day? He'll make you happy every day. And there are people who do ministry like that. But that's not the way the Bible puts it. The Bible puts it like this. When human souls who don't know Christ come into your midst as a church, or when you go out to where they are, you don't want to give them what they already want. Everyone promises them what they already want. That's why they watch commercials on TV. Promise them what they already want. What you want instead is to get them to want the right thing. What you want What you think you want is on the earth. What you really want or what you really need is God. And if you have no hunger for God, and and that's in here listening to my voice today. If you have no hunger for God, can't wait till this guy shuts up. I'm tired of the religious stuff. I'm telling you right now that in an instant, God can give you a hunger that you've never had for him because that's what you're made for. And the way it's going to happen is by the words of God, not by mine. That's why I declare to you, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now, if that don't make you hungry, you need to pray. (laughs) Because you and I are sinners. He came to save you. Maybe you didn't come to church today to to be saved. I just came because somebody made me or I was invited. (laughs) You didn't plan on being hungry for something besides money and power and girlfriends or boyfriends or drugs. All those are nothing. They're nothing. They're baubles. They're, they're dust compared to the treasure of God. Jesus came to save sinners. And so I declare to you, every time I see you when I can, <laughs> that Jesus Christ loves you, God loves you, Though your sin is disgusting to him, instead of rejecting you and me, what he did was he put that disgust on his own son. He put the anger on his son. And, he, and Jesus, when he died, the Bible says, after he died, death no longer ruled over him. So when he rose from the dead, he had a body that couldn't die. That's the body. That's the one that all the rich Silicon Valley people want. All the Christopher people want. Jesus has it. You don't have to do all that silly research. You don't have to freeze your body and wait a hundred years till they solve the... Jesus has the body that can't die. And he'll give it to you for free. Because he died in your place. So you wouldn't have to. And he'll forgive all your sins. You see, declaring that message makes the, wakes the soul up. It's a soul, you're dead, wake up. 
Okay, I'm going to give you guys a tip. A lot of you don't need it, but most of you do. I know, most of you need this tip. A lot of you don't. Some of you know the secret. Most of you don't. You got to cook bacon slow and on low heat. When I was, grew up and started buying my own bacon, first you think, this is heaven. I can buy all the bacon I want. Mom can't stop me. Shriveled up. Popped all over me. Just wasn't the same. Why is it so hard to cook bacon? Then I watched my mom one time. She puts it on low heat and she cooks it a long time. Stays flat. How many of you have had this experience? You were in bed. And you were having a delicious dream. I mean, life was good. How come is it you go to bed, you toss and turn and toss and turn, you just can't, you know, get relaxed, and then when it's time to wake up, your body is melting. It's finally, I'm as relaxed as I want to be, and I have to get out of the bed. Well, let's say you relax, you and you don't have to get out of that bed. You're not going to get out. You woke up enough to say, I'm relaxed, I'm melting, and you go back to sleep, and you're going to stay there. But Mom's downstairs, and she knows how to cook bacon. And it's been a half hour, and the smell of that bacon is invading your life. You know what I mean? How many of you have been there? I don't have to get up. Don't have to work today. Don't have anything I got to do. I could sleep. But doggone it, there's bacon in the air. <laughs> How many of you are with me on this? And you say, I'm getting up. I'm ge- okay, I'm getting up. You got me. She could yell at you, say, get up. That won't work as well as slow-cooked bacon. Because it awakes a hunger you didn't even know you had. You were sleeping. My friends, I, the word of God is the bacon of life. The Bible is God's bacon. And what's sleeping is your dead soul. And when you read it, and when you try to understand it little by little, all of a sudden you go, I don't know what that is, but it's better than anything I've ever smelled. I got to have it. That's how the Bible works. That's when you go from it. You'll hear some people tell you, I used to read the Bible, got nothing out of it. Then all of a sudden something changed and it was alive. Well, that, all that, it's not that it changed. Your soul came alive. It smelled the bacon of God. Declaring the cross. I don't know if that's a good thing to say because Jesus was kosher. <laughs> but... <laughs> I'm going to say it anyway, because he made bacon for the world. How do you know God loves the world? Bacon. That's it, right? Bacon. If there's not a God, why is there bacon? And the word of God's the bacon of the soul. Finally, soul food is truth from God. And we need truth. Truth is a hard thing. Jesus battles Satan by handling the truth correctly. He says, He says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. He's quoting the Bible that he wrote. He told the prophets what to say. He shows up and he says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And if you want to find that, Moses wrote it down. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, he says, 
God humbled you. He let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone. Sometimes God brings hardship into our life so he can show us that everything you thought was going to make you happy doesn't do it. Now there's another. You're still not satisfied. Why? You haven't smelled the right food. That's what Moses is saying that God did to the Jews. He did it so you might know that man does not live by bread alone. He's got a soul. Man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's where life comes from. And what Jesus did was he fought temptation, not with willpower, but with truth. You are lying to me. Yeah, I could eat the bread, but I'm going to get bread later. I need the words of God. God's word is truth, and truth is the antidote for fallen man. Truth is the antidote for your insanity. Truth is the antidote for what ails you. Truth is the antidote for every mental malady. Truth. Modern culture says truth is relative. You know, I went to college. I went to Penn State. And they taught all this stuff is is stupid. <laughs> or at least you can't know it's true. You can't know it's true. I can't? No. No. You, if you ever go to college, they'll teach you that you can't know anything is true. But then they will turn around and charge you to wishing that somehow we all agree it's true that there's such a thing as money. You're like, wait a minute. I'm existentially not experiencing money, so I don't have to give it to you. Online guru I was reading on Twitter. On, I follow a guru on Twitter. He's an Indian guru. No kidding. I want to see what he has to say. Back in the old days, you had to like climb a mountain, right? He's sitting up there. Oh, and you got to climb there. Give me some wisdom. Now, he's on Twitter. <laughs> Top of a mountain. He's like, oh, got good thing to say. And no, I'm not kidding. This is an Indian guru on Twitter that I follow. And, and, and the other day I saw he said this. He tweeted this. Your entire life is, is a virtual reality because you are seeing it only the way it happens in your mind. His idea was your whole life is virtual reality, not re- real reality, which is an Eastern mysticism kind of thought that life is an illusion. But he says because it's what you perceive. Well, that's the same thing the philosophers of the West have been saying too. But you know what? He's wrong. How do I know he's wrong? <laughs> It doesn't matter what my mind perceives. God is outside of, rea- of my reality. He knows exactly who I am and what my life is. My life is real. You can give me drugs and I won't know what my life is. You can teach me stupid philosophies of man and that I misunderstand what my life is. Heck, you, we live in a day and age you can all tell me I'm a girl and I can tell you or I'm a girl and you all got to say, yeah, he's a girl. No one wants to say, ugliest doggone girl I ever saw. No one wants to say it because it's politically incorrect to say, hey, maybe he's not a girl. Shut up, you, you transphobe. You live in a world that truth is completely relative. This is what you wanted, world. You wanted to smoke dope. You wanted to have sex with whoever you wanted. You didn't want God to rule you, so what you threw off was truth. And that's the world you live in, American. It's the world you wanted. Now you got it. But God is outside of my life. My life is real, and he knows what it is. 
So how can I know what it is? He can tell my brain through his word. And the one remedy my soul needs for the insanity of the world is truth. Don't you feel like the whole world's shifting sand right now? Don't you feel that? How, how are you going to find a good place to stand where your feet are solid, where your thoughts can actually figure out up from down, right from wrong? You can. God will tell you the truth. He will always tell you the truth. Your soul longs for the truth. We have it. God's word. Psalm 119 says, The sum of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous rules endures forever. In John 17, Jesus, praying to his Father, said, Sanctify them. That means set them apart in your truth. Set his followers apart in your truth. Your word is truth. And so, this is the first of five messages on the Bible. The applications of the Bible. In one sense, it's going to be more coaching. Because you already know the applications if you've been around at all. Right? The Bible tells you how, it tells you the application. If you've been around at all, you can figure it out. And if you haven't been, it's not hard. The Bible says you're a fool if you read it and don't do it. So you do what it says. That's the application. Bible says to learn it. The Bible says to meditate on it. The Bible says to teach it. The Bible says live in it or abide in it. Memorize it. Those are going to be the applications. We're going to hopefully read through the whole Bible in 2019. And, and, and that's why I brought my old Bible. In 1984, in the fall, somebody gave me this Bible. And... Uh, I was not a pastor and wouldn't be a pastor for another seven, 13 years. But this is how I heard from God. This is how I saw him. And I beat the crap out of it and spilled stuff on it. I'm going to tell you, get yourself a Bible. Get yourself a good Bible, a book you like. Don't be afraid of spending money on it. A friend gave me this, even has his name on it. Because at that time, I was not in a financial situation to spend money on, an, on a leather-bound Bible but don't feel bad buying a nice Bible because books that you carry around don't last unless they're expensive, <laughs> right? Get a good Bible, one you like. You can read electronically too, but don't neglect a paper Bible. It works without electricity. You know, paper, it's the old-fashioned way. Wear it out. I don't use this one that much anymore. Somebody got me... The same guy actually bought me a nice one a few years ago. Calfskin leather. Very expensive. I love it. The only problem is the print is so small now. At this age. I loved that thing 30 years ago. I can't even read it. We have a Bible reading plan that we're all going to join in together. Starting supposedly the 14th. But you can start earlier. You can start right now as you sit here. We are using version app on the Bible. Well, app. You have your phone, you get the Uversion app, and there it is, right? And if you, what you want to look for is something called the Discipleship Journal Reading Plan. There's a picture of the underside of a bridge on it. That's how you know it's the right one. I've been trying it out this week to see how it works. It's really kind of cool. You can do it with friends, so you can help each other, or you can do it on your own privately. You can go ahead. It's, it, it, it's, it'll get you through the whole Bible, reading different parts Five days a week. Two days off. Why? Because we're all humans. We all get behind. 
All right? So you have five days and two catch-up days every week. Another thing, some of you say, well, I don't like to read. Everyone says that, but you read something. But let's say you really do struggle with, with putting an eyeball on a word. You have this app. You can hit go, and there's a little symbol for volume. You hit it, and it talks to you, right? It actually reads the Bible to you. And I've tested it out. It reads the whole day's worth. So uh, I, the last couple days, I'm brushing my teeth. I'm listening to the Bible. I'm, che- I'm checking it out. You have time for this. You have time. You know, I don't have time to read it. Yes, you do. And so do I. But don't read it because you have time. Don't read it because you feel guilty. Read it because do you have time? Do you have time for your favorite candy? Do you have time to kiss your favorite girl? Do you have time to drive your favorite car? Do you have time to watch your favorite TV show? This is the treasure of heaven. Take the time. Now you may say, well, I don't like any electronic stuff. I'm planning on being a dinosaur till I die. Well, we like dinosaurs here at Harvest. So we've printed out the dinosaur version. It's a whole journal reading plan. And it's got the whole thing. And it's got little, like, dates and check mark. Those little boxes, right? And it's in more than one form here. I, I can't even look at it. I can't open it. See, there's the month. Every month we'll have another one. Or you can go through the whole year in tiny. See? Just check it off. And, as an added bonus, buy by midnight tonight and you get, (laughs) every month, the wonderful ladies who are working in the office at Harvest are going to make a card that would work as a bookmark that has, this one has January on it, and guess what's next? February. February. And you'll get one next time, and next time, so we can all go together. I uh, was talking to one of the ladies in the office, or two of them, and I said, hey, are you going to do the electronic or the paper? And I don't remember what they said, but one of them said, I, I did this last year on my own. And, I, and she was feeling bad. I only got through June, and then I stopped. And I said, wait a minute, you read half the Bible last year? Yes. Half the words of the Bible you read? Yes. And you feel bad? Have you ever read half the Bible before? No. I was like, give me it, sister. Give me a high five. <laughs> There's no way to fail at this. If you get something out of the Word of God for a week, it's a win. So we're asking you to join us. Another thing I'm going to ask is on February the 23rd, we're going to have an event called Walk Through the Bible. This is not just a a fun church event. I guarantee you, I promise you, I'd say I swear on a stack of Bibles, but Jesus said let your yes be yes, your no be no. With all my heart, I'm telling you, you do not understand the Bible unless you understand the story of the Old Testament. And I am talking to Christians who have studied their Bible their whole life and think they know their Bible. I found this out when I went to seminary because I was a hotshot Christian for many years. I knew the Bible. I'd read it. Look how I wore it out. And then I went to seminary. I think I got to get this piece of paper so they'll let me preach. But as I sat there in two weeks in the Old Testament survey class, my mouth dropped open and it hit me. You are such a donkey. You didn't even know the story of the Bible right. Walk through the Bible is a ministry that you will love. It's a good time. Great public speaker is going to come in in an interactive way, teach you the story of the Old Testament. If you do not know it, and if you think you know it, but you're not sure, you don't know it. 
you'll get it. And then all the books of the Bible, you can read Isaiah and go, oh, now Isaiah makes sense because I know where it goes and why it goes there. And you'll get it in one day. If you do think you know the Bible, be like me. Come and get a refresher. Okay? I'd like us all to be there from all the campuses. All right? I'd like to have a seating problem. If we have it, we'll reschedule and do it again. So please, go online and sign up for this baby. You pay 12 bucks. And for your 12 bucks or 15 bucks, whatever it is, you get a workbook. How much is it? 12? And you get lunch, which is why, and you pay the dude who comes. That's why it's 12 bucks, is really the workbook and the lunch. <laughs> so you really, it's even. So please sign up for that with me on February 23rd, Walk Through the Bible. And finally, I want to end this by saying this Following Jesus is a life of continual change in the way you think. The battle for the soul is in the mind. Because we're made in the image of God. We're thinking human beings. Do not think the battle is some sort of magic words or you buy a prayer cloth from a guy on TV or you do a prayer walk around and and you have a certain thing you say to Satan. Don't, by the way, don't talk to Satan. He's not the one you're supposed to pray to. But the way you change is in your mind. And it's it's a never-ending journey. We will run out of days before we run out of wonder in what the Bible has for our brains and the corrections for our thinking that we love. So I want to end commending you Romans 12 too, and it's in our map for writing down. I would invite many of you to memorize it. It was one of the first verses I ever memorized. Do not be conformed to this world. It is trying to shove you into a mold that's going to screw up your life and your eternity. And if you're a Christian, it'll ruin your walk with Christ and cause you pain. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Change. How? By changing your noodle. Doing the hard work of thinking. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God. That which is good acceptable and perfect my fellow revolutionaries against this world do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that's what we do that's what makes the difference we don't think like they tell us to think on tv we don't think like our friends tell us to think we think like god says that's that's the ongoing process of continual mental transformation that is bible reading Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.